When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today, um, dragging him away from such a busy and hectic day on Cristiano Ronaldo watch to come and talk about uh, City's mishaps in the Premier League is Mr Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it? How's things? Uh, uh, not too busy, I hope. <laughs> no, no, quieting down a little bit, I think, Dan. And it's uh, it's nice to talk and think about something other than Cristiano Ronaldo since mm-hmm. uh, since 10 p.m. last night. So yeah, it'd be nice to talk about City, even though this is also going to be relatively depressing from a City point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll endeavour to get his um his uh you know cheeky grin and uh, knowing glances to Piers Morgan out of your mind as quickly as possible. But as you say, it's not going to be too much more of a um kind of happy topic because. City, surprising to us all, did actually lose on Saturday to Brentford, 1-2 at the Etihad Stadium. What a game it was, especially for the neutral. I think Joe said in recent episodes that, you know, it's a lot, always a bit lot more entertaining when teams come to the Etihad and give City a game. Don't just sit back, attack them, um, take the game to them. We've seen it with Fulham and Brighton recently. City managed to prevail against those sides, but not the case on Saturday. Brentford came in with a game plan tie, really um, got under City's skin, rattled them. Um, you don't want to say hoof ball because it was like obviously long balls that were really planned and specifically specifically targeted certain players, not, not just aimless hoofs up the pitch. But Brentford did the job. Um, they went ahead early on and you know the, the tone was set within the first 30 seconds or so when Brentford had a, a chance um, right out the gate and they scored Early on, um, Ivan Tony, first Ben Me, and then Ivan Tony both out jumping City defenders to nod in the opener. City did manage to claw themselves back just before half time when Phil Foden rifled in an absolute rocket of a shot. You, you thought, oh, that's it there. City will get their act together. Goal at the yeah. best time. But that wasn't the case. Second half, a real attritional affair right until the 97th minute of injury time when up popped Ivan Tony once again to give the Bees a well deserved victory. Yeah, it was um, it was a good summation. It was a very a very strange game. Um, watching it, the first the first twenty seconds, I think Brentford kept the ball for twenty twenty one seconds with one of those. I guess long passes is probably the the best way to put it. One of those, and it, it you felt at the time, and I kind of made the joke of it. That's the longest spell of possession they're going to have all game. But it, if anything, it just set the tone for it, and and they were excellent. They had a clear game plan. They did go long a lot, but. The, the quality of the passing from David Raya especially was was brilliant. Um, I remember last season, I think it was Jurgen Klopp last season when Liverpool played Brentford, they ba- Klopp basically said he's a number 10 playing in goal and you can see what he means because the quality of his passing to, to Tony especially was, was absolutely fantastic, hitting his head every time. Tony was dominant in the air. Brentford got players around him and, and built attacks from there and it was just 
a really good performance. And like you say, they did they did have a go. They defended deep, but they got men forward as well. And the reality is they had far better chances than City did in that game. And and Pep Guardiola's first, the first words out of his mouth in his press conference were the better team won. And you cannot disagree. And in reality, Ivan Tony could have had five goals, really. There, there was the, the one at the end, mm. De Bruyne cleared off the line when he should have scored. The one, I think, in the 90th minute that Edison saved. The one that Edison saved in the first half. They just had better chances than City. They played better than City. And it was a, a very good game plan, really, there that City couldn't get to grips with. Absolutely. I mean, me, myself and Joe in these podcasts last few weeks, we've been talking about how City's performances haven't been the best at all, but they've still been scraping through. And it has often felt like trying to get to that finish line of the World Cup break with how weird the season is and they just kind of fell at the last hurdle sort of thing. But it's probably one of the worst games we've seen of City for quite a while. What struck me the most is how kind of little spark there was, so yeah. little resolve. Usually, you know, you've got De Bruyne, with these really good crosses into the box, or you've got well, Grealish was on. We'll come on to that um, soon. But uh, you know, Foden or Bernardo or anyone, there's so much talent making magic happen. But the amount of times City were just left with another option, uh, I'm sure Guardiola thought there was plenty more options, but the players certainly didn't. Of just shooting from distance needlessly, I can half understand when De Bruyne does it, or Foden does it, or even Haaland does it. But when your centre backs are repeatedly doing it. I, I'm I'm sure some of them were in for right um, telling us uh, in the dressing room at full time. You know, sometimes it does work. John Stones did it in the Champions League against Bruce Dortmund when they were in a similar sort of bind, and it did get them out of that um, that sticky situation. But at City, when you got Manuel Akanji in the 92nd minute or so, spooning one wide and left foot, I think Laporte had at least three efforts that just went well high and wide and handsome. And then, these, it, as I say, they weren't the only ones. Rodri, Foden... Plenty of players were just shooting from distance because, as you say, Brentford defended deep, but they defended so well. And I think what Thomas Frank said before the game was quite interesting. He basically gave Brentford's game plan away. He basically said, we are going to double up, triple up with as many of their players as we can. And that's often such a downfall for teams because you focus on Haaland or De Bruyne and they have talent elsewhere that can um, exploit the spaces that have been left by those players. But... I don't know how Brentford did it. It was like they had 15 players on the pitch at times, but they somehow managed to kind of defend deep with this like back five, but was kind of on the front foot as well with the pressing. Were so, uh, as I say, doubling up on certain players, not, not giving them an ounce of breathing room. Haaland easily is quietest game um, for City so far. And, you know, as I said, Brentford thoroughly deserved it. It wasn't as though it was a smash and grab or anything like that. I know the goal was in the last minute, but as you rightfully say there, they could have easily won by three or four if, Tony had just been a bit more sharper, if we'll come on to. Edison wasn't quite as um, on his game as he was. Yeah, City, what, what have you made of City in recent weeks? I know it's your first time on um, the pod for a few fair few weeks now. Uh, what have you made of City's performance in recent weeks? And like, and then, as you say, on Saturday, was that kind of an accumulation um, of those bad performances finally? The opposite, whatever the opposite of paying off is. Kind of yeah. accumul accumulating, paying off badly, I suppose. Accumulating in... You know, this defeat where they were so flat, listless and really lacking the spark that we've come to know and appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was a real lack of intensity about their performance. It, it was noticeable, especially early on. And you kind of felt like maybe they're just holding back here. It looked like some players were holding back because the World Cup was was hanging over that game. Impossible to avoid with 10 of the 11 starting. And you did feel that once Brentford scored, it would wake them from the slumber, but it never really did. And like you say, it does feel like chicken coming home to roost a little bit. They've they've not been great in, in recent weeks. I mean, I think of the four games I've done recently, Copenhagen away, Liverpool away, 
Um, and then Chelsea, Chelsea and Brentford this weekend. Chelsea, they played very well. But again, Chelsea had a lot of chances in that game. The others, I don't think they played particularly well, to be honest. Copenhagen, they obviously had a man sent off. But even before that, it, they weren't creating a lot of chances. And it does feel like there's been a lot of games recently where they're just not not really on it. They're just sort of getting by. Leicester away, they just they just kind of got by. It was a moment of De Bruyne magic and they're just doing enough. And it's not. it doesn't feel like the City that we were watching earlier in the season blowing teams away and, and the City of recent years that have been so so finely tuned. It does feel like something's just missing a little bit at the moment. That something's not quite not quite there for whatever reason. And and Saturday was a good example of that. Like I said, there was a real lack of intensity, and that never really changed throughout the match. And they just couldn't couldn't create anything. The the lack of clear chances they created was was startling, really. And Thomas Frank was quite interested in his press conference after the game about how they'd stopped Haaland and and the importance of closing down De Bruyne outside the box. They he almost basically said that they saw De Bruyne, stopping De Bruyne was the key to stopping Haaland and, and they did that. De Bruyne had one spell in the first half of maybe 10 or 15 minutes and he looked dangerous. Beyond that, he was kept very quiet. The three centre-backs got around Haaland and gave him very little space and Brentford did defend very well, but it, it, it was a poor performance from City, but it wasn't entirely out of keeping with some of their recent displays because it does feel, like I say, like they've not really been on top gear for, for a few weeks now. Mm. No, absolutely. I think myself and Joe and Alex, when we've been talking in recent pods, we've said like, when was the last time City really played really well? And I should say the, City, uh, the Chelsea game they did, but I still think Chelsea, you know, if Lewis Hall, a bit sharper in front of the, um, in front mm. of the goal, he, you know, it's a, that's a different game and it's plenty, it's a weaker Chelsea side. I don't think they've played amazing since the derby and even in the last 20 minutes of that, they, they threatened to kind of yeah. throw it away a little bit, you know, and we, we 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 said that a few weeks back and that's still not changed. As you say, I think the tone was set, De Bruyne, as you say, really stopped, but off his game quite a bit, I think that the, the tone was set just a bit later, but I think about the 10th minute, he misplaced a pass. It might have actually led to the goal around that sort of time. He misplaced a pass and the excellent Rico Henry accepted it and stormed up the pitch. Like they were just, no one was on the game whatsoever. And, but I think, you know, this is a City podcast, so I do think it is kind of right to shine a light on the Brentford players who played really well. Um, Rico Henry was absolutely excellent in that left wing back position, probably, you know, as we'll get onto, probably unlucky not to get in, uh, maybe a look in around the England squad himself, given the lack of left backs. But Ivan Tony, obviously, with a point to prove, um, tried playing that down after the game, but I don't think anyone would deny he was really looking to... Um, show exactly what he's made of. And as, as someone pointed out, he may well have been in the, in the England squad if that display had come um, a few weeks earlier. He's, I think, I thought the way he just dominated City centre-backs and won everything in the air, as you say, Ray's um, kind of distribution to him was inch perfect. He won pretty much everything and was so good in the build-up and driving Brentford forward. Oh, pardon me. Got a little cough. <coughs> as you say, the three centre-backs... Um, uh, Ben Mee especially are really good. And Onyeka in the middle of the park, the way he uh, drove Brentford forward at times, they, they really were excellent. And while I agree, like when we said, City's trajectory in recent weeks has been one of not playing its best whatsoever. I do think it, on this occasion, it was a bit more of the case of Brentford making them look so bad rather than it being the other way around. And as we, as we said um on the last week's podcast, Brentford, the Brentford matches last year were really difficult. They're yeah, all in they narrow wins. Thomas Frank's side has kind of got the, as he said as much, we learned from those um, defeats. We kind of think we know how to play them. And 
we've seen how Brighton have caused them problems. And I think they've really built on that. And that is really the blueprint to beat City, you know, kind of man-to-man marking, really aggressive pressing and tackling. And then these really well accurate passes. I say Maya, another great game as well. He was didn't have much to do because of City's shots, but he was equal to pretty much everything apart from Foden's rocket. Yeah, I think it's really important to say that Brentford were brilliant and it wasn't just a case of City underperforming, even though they obviously did that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Brent, Brentford were excellent. I thought Ivan Tony was was man of the match. He was he was brilliant. Not just his threat in front of goal, but his hold up play, his ability to bring others into the game, the the threat he carried, the way he just shrugged off Gundogan for for the winning goal. Everything about his performance was was brilliant, with the exception maybe of actually getting the the hat trick he deserved. It was that typical World Cup narrative, I guess, when he's been overlooked and then and then goes and scores twice and. Could have had many more against City. I'm sure Gareth Southgate was watching, thinking, ah, might, might have made a mistake here. And I'd have certainly had him in the squad. And they do, Brentford do deserve great credit for the way they cause City problems. But I guess we've seen a few teams now recently cause City these kind of problems, give them a few issues defensively, find ways to play against them. And and that's going to be the challenge in the second half of the season for City to kind of find a way to to negate that and, and, and come up with new tricks and, and new ways of breaking down teams. It's in a way, it's the worst. It's not. It's not probably not going to be the most costly defeat of the season. But in a way, it's going to be the most annoying because there's 47 days until the next Premier League game now, and every other setback this season, they bounce back pretty much immediately. Had a chance to the next. I think every Premier League game they've dropped points. They've won the next one. Now it's it's 47 days to stew on it really. And while most of the players are going away, you know, Guardiola is going to Barcelona this week, and and knowing the intensity he works with, I'm sure this will be playing on his mind and. I'm sure he'll be he'll be watching it when he could be looking at the Sagrada Familia or, or doing some decent in uh, in Barcelona with his time instead. And it is gonna you know he's gonna play on minds for a long time. And it's a long time to have to to have to wait to, to put it right. Really, mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, and as we've touched on, like the World Cup starts now in less than a week on this coming Sunday. We we me and my, me bloody hell, I cannot speak this today. Um, Joe and myself were talking um, on last week's show. We we're saying like, oh, will. The difference in you know City having so many World Cup players going to the World Cup compared to Brentford, who it turned out have even less than I thought they would have. I thought they'd be supplied half of Denmark's squad, but it turns out I think only two of their matchday squad uh, would go in, which was the day in uh, Damsgaard and uh, the goalkeeper, of course, David Reyes. So the lack of Brentford has so much more to play for, I suppose, just in the fact that they've been not going to play again for 47 days afterwards. They didn't have anything to worry about, whereas City... Clearly did. 10 of their starting 11 um, go into the World Cup. The only one who isn't is Erling Haaland, of course. And Guardiola had said a few weeks back when asked, like, do you think any of the players will be worried about it? Um, I'll be able to smell it. And, they, you know, they won't play if, they, if that kind of declares the judgment. But as, as Joe said, he later admitted that, of course, they're yeah. going to be thinking about it because how can you not? And I do think it played a part because Brentford could, was so much more intense, as we say, ran so much further out of thought. And I think that for the winning goal, when is it Wissa who wins the ball off De Bruyne? Yeah. I do not think De Bruyne loses out on that tackle like that if the World Cup's not coming up. I just, and I'm not saying he did it purposely. I'm sure it was subconscious or whatever. I don't really blame De Bruyne for it either. But I, you know, a 50 50 like that, the player who isn't going to the World Cup, you'd bet every day on winning it. And I do think, I do wonder if it's not quite as panic stations as we think, just the World Cup did just play a part. Yeah, I think it, it almost certainly will have done. I mean, like you said, Guardiola changed his tune this week about the World Cup. I mean, basically said he'd drop players and he'd smell it on them if, if they weren't focused. He admitted on Tuesday that 
it's impossible now for it not to be in the players' minds. And it, it certainly felt relevant on a Wednesday. I mean, can you imagine if you missed out on a playing in a World Cup because you got injured in a Carabao Cup third round game? There's, there was absolutely no way anyone was going to do anything to risk an injury in that game. And, and it certainly felt like it was on their minds again on Saturday, especially now squads have been named. It all feels a little bit more real. Only eight days away from the start of the tournament on Saturday. And it did It did feel like it, it just had to play a part, really. You mentioned that last goal then. I mean, Erling Haaland was, was, one, of the, was one of the few racing back from City. I think he ended up in the centre-half position um, at the front post when the cross came in and, and Tony converted. So, you know, it shows that I think there maybe were players who were subconsciously even taking it easy. And, and like I say, it felt like they maybe started the game thinking we can cruise through this or we can get through this at 70%. The first 15 minutes should have jolted them out of it, but it never really did. And it, it does kind of fit pattern with City, City's recent performances. But again, like I said, the, the World Cup is, is impossible to ignore in this season. It's it's a cloud hanging over the season. It's unprecedented. And it, it is bound to have had an effect, especially with so many of that starting eleven going to Qatar. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about the players and them not being passed at the best on Saturday. But... Does Guardiola have kind of some questions to ask? Because I do think his rotation of late and some of his selections have been a bit, uh, you know, at least um, question, worth questioning, if not um, downright confusing. Like he praised Grealish to high heaven after the Chelsea game, best player on the pitch, and rightfully so. And City's, I think, the last time City were playing well that spell of games, kind of United Wolves, were when they had Grealish, Haaland, and Foden on the right. That was like the best front three, and Grealish. I believe um, a stat going round I saw was that of all the um, part of the teams that City have dropped points to, your Newcastles and your Brentfords, Grealish has played no minutes in those games. So it's yeah. kind of a bit confusing to me as to why he isn't getting in to these matches now. And and then I think at the centre-back, it's a bit of a strange one. I know Diaz hasn't been at his best, but certainly out of all City centre-backs, you'd have Diaz on for to back Tony, who you know is physical and good in the air, as well as all of his um, skill and uh, really great positioning and, um, and build-up play. But I, I know I'm not saying Akanji and Stones haven't been good this season, but it's I don't know why Diaz has what Diaz has done to warrant his, his seeming kind of dropping out of favour. Yeah, I mean, he certainly is out of favour, isn't he? And I think that's a, a big surprise to everyone, the way it's kind of gone for... For Diaz, it does feel very much like his fourth or fifth choice at the moment, which is a big surprise. The Grealish one, like you, I was very, very surprised at that. He was he was brilliant against Chelsea. And what what felt most noticeable was the way Guardiola talked about him in the press conference after that Chelsea game and talked about how he'd been speaking to him about his body language and how he was, you know, making it always making it too obvious he wanted to pass it again and he wanted to pass it. And how he wanted that body language to basically be to run at the defence and, and look to shoot and threaten to shoot and have it in your, in your mind, at the front of your mind to shoot. And if the shot's not on, then pass it. But at least let the defence know that you're there to run at goal, to run directly at goal, to take the shot on. And he, he spoke about that. It was really interesting, I thought, after the Chelsea game about how Grealish had done that and why he looked so much more threatening to do that. He did still lay the ball off at times, but his instinct was to find goals, to look for goals, to take the shot on. I think he did it in the first 30 or 40 seconds and continued that way afterwards. I think it probably also helped that he had Gomez outside him. I think he looks he looks better in that kind of going into that inside left position when he's got a left-footed fullback overlapping when he's playing with Cancelo. That 
they're kind of playing a similar role, aren't they, at times? They're both looking to occupy those same areas of the pitch, and I don't think it works maybe quite as naturally. But having talked him up so much and basically said, you know, Guardiola gave the indication that the penny had dropped with him, really, with, with what he wants on Wednesday night, and to then leave him out entirely was was very strange. And again, we saw just the one sub. I think it was obvious to everyone that City weren't playing very well, but we know what Guardiola's like with substitutions. He's not always easy to read. He was asked about it after the game and, and basically said that he felt the players on the pitch had the sense of of goal and getting a goal and Gundogan being good at finding the runners and things like that. And I think the only player he actually mentioned in considering bringing on, I think, was Mares rather than Grealish, which which was was a strange one, really, after Grealish's performance the other night. It, it, I did feel like he was a bit unfortunate to miss out and then to not come on at all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, definitely. And then, then when you think that Haaland had such a quiet game, kind of another one, I, I, I think he had maybe a header, I, I want to say, that Rayo kind of did well to take out mm. the air. But apart from that... Off the top of my head, I cannot remember. I can't remember any clear, really, apart from Foden's goal, which even I imagine the, not to sound like a nerd, but I imagine the XG on that was a particularly high on the edge of the box. I can't think of many really great saves where you had to make in and around perhaps ahead of the 12 yard line. Because as I mentioned earlier, all of City's shots were just coming from outside the box, and Haaland rarely operates from outside of uh, that um, that 18 yard box. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, it's hard. It's hard to remember. I think the only real, really good second half chance I remember them having is is Gundogan after a Haaland one two, and he he got the finish horribly wrong and scooped it miles over. And aside from that, it's hard to recall any sort of clear second half chances or even first half chances. Just before the goal, I think Foden had a shot from a an angle which was fairly easy for Raya. Other than that, it is difficult to recall good chances they had. A lot of the shots, like I say, came from distance. But even when they came from distance, Brentford had so many players that they had the three central defenders and then three central midfielders in, in front of the goal. And there were so many players to get blocks in that it was always going to be difficult to, to score from there. Foden's finish was absolutely sensational, but it, it came from a corner. And a lot of the other times, I think I think it was Foden's shot that led to the corner from which Brentford scored to the, the third goal. And it was... Mm. Uh, Another shot that was from kind of from 20 yards. There was lots of bodies in the way and it got deflected for a corner. And from those sort of shots, it was going to have to be inch perfect to go in. And it, it just never looked like being inch perfect on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've actually just got the kind of the shot map up here. And City had 29 shots. Um, only six were on target. Nine were off target. A massive 14 were blocked. Yeah. And then I've got the kind of map up, and I I think there's one, and I'm guessing it is that Gundogan one, which, as you say, that was a brilliant move and would have been a brilliant goal. And if that, you know, Gundogan doesn't, on a rare occurrence, kind of get his wires crossed, City probably will go on and win that game, and it's two beautiful goals that do it, and we're singing off a different hymn sheet, as we said. But we've said that so many times in recent uh, weeks that when City have won and kind of not wanting to be as critical because they, you know, they have won the two points off the top or even um, mm. top depending on when Arsenal have played. And so it's like, oh, you know, 
it's going to be critical, but it's still getting the win, so it's not that bad. But now it has, and I say five points is hardly a, a sustained, um, you know, an insurmountable uh, gap for them to climb. I, I believe Liverpool had a similar gap at this stage last season. Of course, they um, went on to win the title. But like, I'm looking at these shots, and that Gundogan one is the only one that's past the penalty spot, and only just. Um, and then I want to say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I've come outside the box and one, according to the trajectory, goes out to the corner flag. So that just shows <laughs> what like, a lack of of ideas they had. And is it a case of last year when City didn't have a main striker, while they weren't as kind of, um, they didn't have like as much as a focal point, they had more ideas, goals could come from different areas. And now, while they have such an obvious focal point, as, as Frank said, if you kind of cut out those, channels to him, to Haaland, the most obvious one being De Bruyne. City have made themselves, while they've got such incredible firepower now, best striker on the planet, and may well do what they finally want and get them, get the goals that have cost them in the big Champions League matches and stuff. They have kind of, that's come at the cost of making themselves slightly more predictable and a little easier to stop when you know a bit more of how they are going to attack. Yeah, I think so. And I think things will will look at the way they that Brentford stopped them and think there's a template there for us to work to and and to get I mean, stopping De Bruyne was easier said than done. And I did think he was the ones that was below par on on Saturday and kind of looked that he might have been holding something back and and you know, given his his tournament history and the misfortune he's had, you can kind of understand that. But Brentford did kind of cut off that supply line and, and had the three centre half getting tight to Haaland and it did make a difference. I guess the other thing to mention is that Haaland, I don't think, can, is still fully fit. It was telling on Wednesday that he didn't take part in the warm-up again at all pre-match. I don't ever recall him even leaving his seat during the game against Chelsea. Um, he was barely using his right foot a week ago against Fulham. And although he played 90 minutes, it's it's difficult to imagine that he's still you know, 100% sharp and, and fully fit. So it might have been a bit easier to stop, but... Yeah, it does feel like the goals have the goals have dried up a little bit recently. They've they've not been creating as many chances. They've not looked as threatening. They've had to work a little bit harder to to get those goals. And like you say, there is a risk it all becomes a bit a bit too predictable at times. And and that's something they're going to have to guard against in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least on the bright side, Haaland did seemingly come through the game unscathed, and we now have this big gap where he can get back to his full fitness for you know a crucial second half of the season. You like to think, I think Kyle Walker has been such a massive loss just for how kind of lopsided it's made them. You, you know, Akanji and Stones and Ake when roles have been reversed. I can all do admirable jobs at fullback, but they're admirable, admirable. I don't know what the word is. Um, jobs at fullback, but they're certainly not as good as Walker in adding that real proper de- um, width very wide, uh, you know, can really drive and allow, I think De Bruyne has not been, obviously he's been absolutely excellent as I say, but I think he's not been able to operate in that excellent kind of pocket between the touchline and the box as much because he hasn't had Walker bombing on the outside as often. And I, I do think Foden not being on that flight with him has seen him not both not be as good. But, uh, you know, as we say, it's, it's an annoying loss. It's a potentially a concerning loss just with, some of the um, patterns are in, but now that we have such a unprecedented gap, those patterns may well be, you know, mean absolutely nothing by the time we get there. You know, I think one bright side is the performance of Edison. We talked last week how Ortega, brilliance at Chelsea, um, is pushing him, and it looked like he, <laughs> Edison, looked like he had certainly had a point to prove, maybe to um, his Brazil manager ahead of the World Cup, because he was um, 
really excellent and kept City yeah. in the game longer, a lot longer than they were um, than they would have been if it wasn't for him in that. Yeah, definitely. He, he looked like he took that Ortega performance personally. He was easily City's best performer on the day and and did play very well. He was probably a lot busier than expected to be, but he made some some good saves. Maybe the one blemish was was kind of flicking the the cross from Henry that led to Tony's early chance um, into the path of Embuemo. But he made up for it by saving from Tony. And, and beyond that, yeah, he was he was pretty faultless really, and and had a very good game. So that so that was a positive. Just t- clearly two two excellent keepers there for for Guardiola to pick from. Absolutely, absolutely. Is there, is there any other any other observations you had from the match before we uh, before we move on? We had little time to plan today's episode. Yeah, no, we didn't. Yeah, I think that covers uh, covers. I think we've covered pretty much everything that I can remember mm-hmm. coming out of it from there. Well, absolutely. Well, the 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 the, the upshot of the the result, the defeat, is that Arsenal did win once again later on in the evening against Wolves. So I don't think this fact matters quite as much this season. But they will be top on Christmas Day, um, five points ahead of City. And perhaps a little bit of concern is that we're just built, um, behind on City's shoulders. Newcastle just two points behind them. It's hard, it's hard to say with Newcastle. Just, you just It's hard to say with anyone, really, because we don't know how teams are going to come back after the World Cup. But Newcastle don't have that many players um, go in. I think only Bruno Gomez and Callum Wilson would be, and, and Kieran Trippier and Nick Pope. So important players, but... Um, a few, Wilson and uh, Gamares and Pope unlikely to play. So they may well come back quite fresh. Arsenal have been great. Title race is, is certainly kind of looking quite intriguing. I think, I think Newcastle, it's interesting when Newcastle was there at the point where if City were immediately challenging for the title, the season they signed Rubinho is where we'd, at, we'd be at now. And it took City two or three years to get the Champions League a top four spot um, after their takeover. So for Newcastle to have made such a massive leap to certainly be in top four contention, if not challenging for the title. Um, it's certainly made for an interesting uh, an interesting um, setup for the second half of the season. Yeah, it has. I think they're definitely in contention for top four. I think the title's a, a bit of a stretch, but Eddie Howe's done a great job there and they've clearly got a lot of momentum at the moment, a lot of spirit. The, the unity they've got with the fans is a massive weapon at St James's Park. So... I think they are maybe a threat to, to hang around in that top four, although it's it's pretty tight and I think it's going to get tighter still in the second half of the season. The the title race is an interesting one. I mean, it's five points is a, is a pretty decent lead, but there's still 24 games to go. I think City will be kicking themselves that they, they did drop three points on Saturday because it feels like this whole being top for the World Cup and being top at Christmas is going to mean a lot more to Arsenal than it will to City. I don't think City will be panicking at any stretch at the moment, but if Arsenal had if Arsenal had gone into that Wolves game knowing that City would have pointed ahead of them and that the prize for winning was to be top of the league for six weeks and top at Christmas, I think it would have meant a lot more to them and might have put them under a little bit more pressure than they were away at Wolves. In the end, it was a pretty routine win um, and under limited pressure, really. So I feel like that was a missed opportunity for City to put them under pressure. The, the thing with Arsenal is they're, they're playing very well. They're doing very well. They look really confident, really assured got a lot more character about them than they have in recent years, but they've had very few injuries as well. They've they've had a very settled side and you feel at some point that is going to change and you just wonder if the depth is there to maintain a challenge in the new year when we've got 24 Premier League games still to go. They're still in the, um, they're in the Europa League still and you think that it's probably going to be a step too far for them, I think, to, to maintain that over another 24 league games. Mm-hmm. We can, I think the gap, the break we've got now, not kind of, um, taking any potential injuries into account with City having so many players away. I think 16 um, was the final count on that front. But 
the the break in terms of the Premier League has come at the best time for City, just when they've lost a match, just when their form's a little ropey, they're not pl- playing the best. Whereas Arsenal and Newcastle are both in great form and have, we're building a lot of momentum. And for that, you know, I should say it's good for them to be where they are and they can take that going into the break with a lot of optimism and they, they'll come back fresher. As I've said previously, I think the January transfer window is going to have a massive bearing on the title race in the second half of the season. But it does feel like those two sides, they have the momentum. They would rather have kept playing while they're in such good form, keep yeah. that building, keep it snowballing, um, snowballing, keep the results coming in. Where City, you know, that momentum has now been halted, where City have got a brief breathing room to kind of recalibrate, rejuvenate, take another look at the draw, uh, the chartboard perhaps and come back in, you know, December, you know, December, well, December, wherever it'll be, three days after the final in the Carabao Cup, but December twenty eighth will be their first game back against Leeds. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the break will will probably do them some good. The it is kind of an unknown this challenge of, of having a World Cup in the winter and so many players there and Guardiola was saying on Tuesday that we might only see the, the full effects in spring, really. Maybe when the title race is, is at its most intensive, if Arsenal maintain the pace and we see just how badly the World Cup has affected players of that 16, that there's a good chance quite a few will be in quarterfinals, semifinals, even final. And the the emotional intensity, as much as the physical intensity of that, could be draining. It's an extra seven games if you go all the way. Um, those games won't be as as intense as Premier League games, but it will be a lot to deal with emotionally. There'll be players who who lose in disappointing fashion in the final or semi-final. And it is, you know, it, it is a great unknown. I think the, the time away and the chance to reset will probably be beneficial to, to City. And like you say, it, it's certainly robbing Arsenal of momentum. But there is just so many unknowns as well with how it's going to affect the second half of the season that it does still feel hard to call exactly what sort of impact it will have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and at this point in the podcast was usually where we would look forward to the next game and and give our thoughts on how City would do and how they'd line up. But that will not be the case for another forty odd days. But we do have the World Cup, as I, as we said last week. Despite all its drawbacks, it is still a World Cup, and even though we haven't had that usual three or four weeks to get excited after the season finishes and the squads come out and the, the pre-tournament friendlies are played and the, the hype really builds. We haven't, we've been robbed of that this time around, but we are less than, well, we are a week away um, from England's first game. We are just under a week from the first match of the tournament. Maybe with any look, a little bit of excitement can start to be built despite the obvious drawbacks. Ty, we've not had your thoughts on the World Cup and England squad. How, how do you reckon the tournament's going to shake out in Scotland? What do you reckon to that England squad? Um, yeah, I think I think the squad's pretty good. I think I'd have had Tony in there probably instead of, of Callum Wilson. I just like I like the look about Tony. He just looks to have something about him even before the weekend. He has that kind of strut on the pitch, that arrogance almost, and you can see why the way he's playing and his penalty record's very good. Um, so I think it's a pretty decent squad, maybe as well Tamori at centre-half, just as a point of difference, a bit of pace. I think Dyer and Maguire and the other central defenders he's picked, a lot of them are all are all fairly similar in terms of being comfortable on the ball. But I don't think any of them are the quickest, really, so that might be an issue. But I think it's difficult one to score with England. Obviously, you look at the form and you think they've got no chance. I think that goes for a lot of European teams. They've got a great tournament record. Southgate always seems to get them through through tournaments. And if they get out of that group, you never know. It's it's a, a lot trickier group than it looks for England, given the three teams have all got um, differing reasons for, for wanting to beat England. I think all three of those teams would probably have said England are the one team they want to beat in the tournament. 
maybe with the exception of Iran, say in the USA and England, and they've got a chance with both. So they're, they're going to have to be sharp from the start, really, to, to get through. So I think it's a, a stretch to see them repeat in the semi-final of four years ago. And I think for me, that, that Brazil squad to me looks looks the best of the lot. They've got a manager who's been there a long time and, and knows exactly what the system is. The players know what the system is. And I think Brazil, for me, are going to take all the stopping. Interesting. I, I do, yeah. I think it's going to be Brazil-Argentina final, depending on where those routes go. Yeah. I don't know if they'd meet a bit beforehand, but those, and what, you know, what story that would be. Sure. Or a Port- Portugal-Argentina final would perhaps be even funnier, given uh, given um, today's antics and whatnot. But yeah, okay, it's, okay. it's lucky set to... You know, despite all our concerns with the the World Cup and when it's being set and where it's being set, it doesn't look at least look on paper with the squads that have come out. I think there's a lot of juicy squads. So I, I think there's some teams that are not quite as strong as you might think they'd be. I don't think I know France have got an amazing attack, but I look at that midfield and I don't think it's quite as strong as it once was. I look at Germany and and flabbergasted that Mario Goetze somehow got there into the squad. Um, you look at the Holland squad, I've been Holland have been great since uh, Louis van Gaal took charge, but they've somehow took a striking uh, trifecta of White Weghorst, uh, Vincent Janssen and Luke de Jong. So that's quite bewildering. So it does, and then I say Brazil and Argentina are really strong. Portugal, I think, have a really great squad. Um, it, it, I think at least the football, providing the uh, desert heat and whatnot, doesn't isn't too draining. We'll, we'll soon find out when England kick off uh, around 35 degree heat, I believe it's going to be. So rather them than me, it does look like there's going to be at least a lot of good teams and a lot of good football, if nothing else, with any luck. Yeah, I think so. And that's always what you want from a World Cup. I mean, it is a weird World Cup in the fact that there's been so little, so little build up to it. And even now, the, the week when there should be a build up to it, the you know, the biggest football story in the world is is Ronaldo and not the World Cup this week. And we're six days away from the start now. So it is a strange one. Hopefully when it starts, we'll all we'll all get that World Cup buzz. But yeah, it's it, it's noticeably different, isn't it, due to the host, due to the time of the year. Um maybe when it starts we'll all we'll all feel a bit different to it. But that that lack of build up I think to it and that lack of excitement and the, the gap you normally get between the end of the season and start of a World Cup, I think, has, has had an impact on how much we're looking forward to it. So maybe when the weekend comes, we'll all uh, we'll all suddenly find we're, we're coming down with World Cup fever. Absolutely. Fingers crossed for that. Uh, as we said, we'll be back later on this week for, uh, I reckon, a full World Cup preview. Have a look at all the groups and the squads and our predictions and whatnot. Maybe that will get us in the, in the festive spirit. But until then, everyone, this has been the Talking City Podcast. Thank you all once again for listening. You can, of course, get all our uh, writing and whatnot during the break and uh, updates on how City are doing, how City's players are faring over in Qatar and how those who haven't gone, uh, what they are getting up to. And, of course, Guardiola as well, all over on ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You'll be able to get um, posts and updates on all our stories on Twitter at ManCityMEN and over on Facebook at Manchester Evening News. Uh, dash Manchester City. You can get myself on Twitter at Dan Murphy MEN and you can get Tyron on Twitter at uh, Ty Marshall MEN. I'll keep you on your toes. Are eh? you not used to that you one? Were, you were, well, well, everyone, we'll keep you on your toes with another podcast <laughs> later on this week. But until then, thank you all very much for listening and until then.